Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On today's episode, confidence in Canada's food system is at an all-time high, according to new research from the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity. Canadians seem to be optimistic about their food supply, even as the food system faces exceptional pressure and public scrutiny due to the global pandemic of COVID-19 in 2020. President and CEO of CCFI, John Jameson, will share the results of the latest public trust research report and how Canadians are feeling about the overall direction of the food system. Farmers are poised to play a key role in Canada's economic recovery. The Canadian Federation of Independent Business submitted a list of concerns to the country's agriculture ministers. Topping the list is needed improvements to business risk management programs. CFIB senior policy analyst Virginia Labby says the focus should be on policies that will help drive growth in the agriculture sector so that it can perform to its full potential. After the break, John Jameson. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. John Jameson is president and CEO of the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity. I guess, first of all, John, you're a fairly new organization, aren't you? We were established in 2016, and we really have one mandate and one mandate only, and that's to help the food system connect with the consumer. Uh, we're a national nonprofit, and uh, we have a board of directors that's uh, involved, or that are people that are involved with the food system from all across Canada. So there's everything from farmers on there to, you know, large processors and, and uh, restaurateurs and everything in between. So we have a we have a unique um, mandate, but we also have a unique uh, structure because we we represent everything from farmers right up to you know. Uh, the end, the the end of the value chain. Now, you've recently completed a public trust research report. Uh, this is your fifth edition now. Why do you feel it's important that you conduct this research and then continue to do so year after year? So we we started these as you mentioned five years ago, and the idea behind them is to provide the sector data on what the consumer is thinking. So if, if we're trying to connect the food system with the consumer, we need to know what the consumer is thinking. But we also need to know if if all the different work that the commodity organizations and the processing companies and restaurants and grocery stores are doing is having an impact on what people are thinking. Uh, so we're the only organization that does this big roll-up uh, annually. And, and again, the objective really is to just give some insight into what Canadians are thinking. So what is the consumer thinking? And I I guess, is that information science-based? Yeah, so um, I'll I'll actually uh, answer your second question first. So what we do is we hire Ipsos, and they run our uh, survey for us. So they're, you know, very well-known national survey company. They um, make sure that we have you know, the right demographics, the right gender mix, the right income levels. And this year we surveyed 2,903 Canadians, which is a very robust sample. It's actually our largest sample ever. And with a sample size that large, 
Um, Ipsos tells us that we can have confidence, you know, within plus or minus two two percent, uh, nineteen times out of twenty. So the the uh, the robustness of the survey is certainly there. It, it is, uh, um, you know, factually and scientifically sound. So what those two thousand and nine hundred and three Canadians are saying from all across Canada, um, there's really, you know, really three areas that that I think we can we can highlight, you know, that, that come out of it. One of them is um, we ask people, do you think the food system is heading in the right direction or the wrong direction? And do you think that uh, the Canadian food system will continue to be able to support you during the pandemic, for example? And what we found is that uh, confidence in Canada's food system is an, at an all-time high. So we've asked that question, not not the COVID question or the pandemic question, but we've asked the question about um, do you think the food system is heading in the right direction? And this year we've seen the highest number of people that, that feel that the food system is heading in the right direction since we started surveying. Uh, we also know that almost 9 out of 10 Canadians are confident that the food system will continue to provide food despite the challenges of us being in a worldwide pandemic. So I think I think those numbers are the result of you know early in the pandemic the food system had to make an adjustment. We you know we we did see some shelves that were empty in grocery stores, but by and large it was it was it was a fairly short period of time, and uh, and things got you know the food system adjusted and and food continued to flow, and you know while the experience of going to a grocery store is a whole lot different today than it was, for example, a year ago, by and large, the shelves are still the same. So I think people recognize that. And they also, because of the pandemic, they may realize that, hey, you know what? We can't take uh, food for granted anymore. So that confidence, I think, is is a result of the food system, you know, really doing a good job of, of maintaining, um, you know, food on the table uh, during a pandemic. The other the other thing we, we hear from the survey that, that comes out loud and clear is that people are concerned about food affordability and we provide a long list of issues um, you know everything from cost of health care to the Canadian economy the deficit you name it and we ask people to raise you know what their number one concern is and for the past couple of years food affordability has been the number one issue so 56 percent of Canadians say that uh, they're concerned about uh, the cost of food increasing. And they're also saying that they feel this year, because of the pandemic, that they have less money available to spend on food. So food affordability is certainly something that, that people are thinking about. And then the third key finding from the survey is that uh, people are looking for sustainable options. So sustainability uh, in the food system is not just a buzzword. It's it's a foundational piece of, of having, to do, having to do business. So people are are looking for options that have uh, that they feel may have a lesser impact on the environment, or in, in a lot of cases, they're actually looking for uh, products that have uh, less uh, packaging or or reduced packaging. And because our survey is is um, that we made sure we tap into the different um, generations. We do know that the younger people certainly are, are more in tune with uh, seeking sustainable options and, and uh, 
a vast majority of them are, are, are thinking that way. So as they, as they, you know, grow and mature and, and uh, become a bigger part of the demographics in Canada, we're certainly going to see more and more of, um, of a focus on sustainability. So those, those three trends, confidence, affordability, and sustainability, certainly rang through in, uh, in this year's survey. I'm speaking with the President and CEO of the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity, John Jameson. Those statistics are encouraging, but how do you respond to comments from those who don't have that same level of confidence in the food system? And then how do you take that information and share it with the value chain so that you can look for ways to improve? So um, this year we saw about 70% of people who feel that the food system is heading in the wrong direction. And when you start to dive into the numbers, um, the concerns I have are mostly around uh, genetic modification, uh, uh, animal welfare, uh, pesticide use, those types of things. So I think what the industry can take from that is that... um, you know, people are thinking about the food system. They have some concerns, and and really, we need to do. I think we need to continue. I think continue to be open and transparent about what we do, and we need to do a really good job of messaging. And I think, you know, over the years, we've seen a dramatic increase in the people that feel that the food system is going in the right direction. I think, you know, back in 2016, which is only five years ago, we only saw 30% of people feeling that way, but. Over that period of time, I think the industry has really stepped up its game about identifying how, you know, how we're doing things. And I don't think the Canadian public expect perfection in the food system, the same as they don't expect perfection in anything. But they do expect progress. And I think the industry is doing a really good job of talking about what they're doing in terms of environment and climate change and and, uh and their sustainable goals. They're talking about how they're improving um, um, animal welfare, how they're using less pesticides. And, and, you know, really what we need to message is that science and technology in the food system is no different than science and technology in any other sector. We need it in order to to do what we do. And I'm going to tell a little story. Um, I used to work in Prince Edward Island as as a deputy minister. I had a photo on my wall of a young guy in a dairy barn. And people would come into the office and they'd say, I love that photo. And I'd say, well, let's talk about the photo. I said, you know, the ceilings are low, so the farmer's head is almost touching the ceiling. There's fluorescent lights, so there's no natural light there. There's a little fan in the back, so air quality is probably, you know, just fair. The cows are tied up, and in fact, their tails are actually tied up, too, to keep them out of the, out of the poop. And, you know, so the, the, the conditions for the animal and the farmer aren't that great. And I said, you know what they've done with that farm and, or the barn? And people would say, well, no, not really. They'd say, well, they actually built a new one across the road. And the new one has natural ventilation and curtains go up and down. So there's natural light. The cows walk around and they have scratching posts and they have robotic milkers and they have, you know, all the comforts for both the farmer and the animal. And I said, if you were driving down the road and you saw the two barns across the road from each other, which one would you gravitate to? They said, well, we'd look at the old one. 
and we think the new one is a factory farm, even though there's the same number of animals in both barns. So that's that's the challenge we have in in uh, in food production and agriculture, because I think a lot of the people that feel that the system is going in the wrong direction have some nostalgic notion that we should have, you know, a 40s or 50s or, a, you know, a peasant model of, of agriculture. When, in fact, the Canadian food system, because it it is what it is, I think there's room for everyone from a small, you know, supplier or farmer that's selling into a farmer's market or a CSA to, to, you know, like the large feedlots or grain growers. There's room for everyone. So I think the, the, the takeaway for the industry is to continue to be open and transparent, you know, and, and not necessarily decide what the consumer wants to know, but to figure out what the consumer is asking questions about and then, and then develop our messaging and communications around that. John, as we're having this conversation, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. So food is central to our lives. It's so important. What do the members of the chain uh, concentrate on as we move through this time? Hmm. I think, you know, the, there's a couple of challenges and, and uh, they, they raise their head fairly quickly in the uh, early days of the pandemic that, uh, you know, because of COVID-19 being airborne and so easily transmitted, we had to, we had to think about how we can uh, keep people safe and continue to process and, and develop food. And the other issue is, has been labor, um, you know, again, related directly to people getting sick, but also the challenges around, uh, around just having, having, you know, arms and legs to, to uh, fulfill what, what we need to do. So I think, you know, the challenge and the, the, other, the other challenge I would think about is the uncertainty. And I think the food industry, farmers and, and suppliers and, and the like, you know, they have to deal like everyone else with that uncertainty right now. And, and the concern about, you know, what's going to happen with the economy, what's going to happen as we, as we go into the second phase. But, you know, I think a lot of the adjustments that were made back in April and May and June were where, um, you know, changes were made in the plants and that, I think that will help us carry through. We're not certainly not out of the woods and we may have disruptions, but I think the food industry is in a much better position today with the second wave than it was in, in back in, you know, back in March when it first hit and, and came out of the blue. And I read something the other day and it was, and it, and it kind of spoke to um, what the food industry has done and it was a person in Saskatchewan, and, and I think you, you folks had some nasty weather there last week or whatever. And they said, you know what, I'm sitting here, I'm in a snowstorm, in a global pandemic, and I can go to the grocery store and pretty well buy whatever I want. So that, that tells you something. And I think those thoughts around not being able to, or not taking the food system for granted, and recognizing how important food is, is, is we're seeing that in that, in that, uh, and how optimistic and confident Canadians are about the food system. I also think that this creates an extraordinary opportunity for the food system to connect even more with the consumer. And also I think because of, of uh, the interest in the food system, there's a, there's a real opportunity for the food system to help lead economic recovery in Canada. 
as we come out of the pandemic. And, you know, prior to the pandemic, there was a Barton report and there were other reports that identified the potential for the Canadian food system. I think that's even more more, uh, apparent now. John Jameson is the president and CEO of the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity. After the break, Virginia Labby with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business talks about the role that agriculture will play in the country's economic recovery and why a national business group feels that they need to speak for the sector on policies that need to change in order for agriculture to thrive. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Virginia Labby is a senior policy analyst with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Virginia agriculture sector has been very clear all along that ag will play a significant role. Uh, role in getting the country through this pandemic. And this national business organization is also saying that. Why Why are you supporting it? Well, I think we cannot forget that agriculture and the agri-food industry employs 2.3 million Canadians, about one in eight jobs, and contributes over $100 billion annually to Canada's GDP. So that's a really big, uh, really big chunk of the economy. And our data that we released, you know, really shows that. Um, we feel that farmers are poised to play a key role in Canada's economic recovery. Um, that's why in advance of the FPT agriculture minister's meeting coming up here, that we are urging them to focus on policies that will help drive this growth in agriculture so that that sector can really perform to its potential. Regardless of the type of business that you happen to be involved with, the pandemic certainly has had impacts, and some sectors of agriculture have fared better than others. So what government policies do you see that need to be addressed so that agriculture can continue to do their part in propping up national recovery? Well, I think we're seeing, you know, already and in, in across the country, you know, talks of, of locking down the economy, that sort of thing. We know that far too many small businesses across the country are still left struggling to survive. But I think, you know, as you said, the agriculture sector has fared a little better. Um, you know, thankfully, due to the essential nature of their business, many farms and small businesses serving that sector were able to keep operating. And that's really reflected in our data. Um, according to our small business recovery dashboard, of Canadian businesses are fully open, 42% are fully staffed, but only 28% are making normal sales. But when we compare that to the agriculture sector, uh, 78% of our farmers and small business owners in the ag sector across the country are fully open, 53% are fully staffed, and only about 56% are are making normal sales. So these statistics paint a more optimistic picture in the sector, but like you said, it really doesn't change the fact that, you know, some of those folks in the horticultural sector, the, you know, maybe the livestock sector that, that faced some supply chain challenges this, this spring, you know, there was lots of businesses that took it on the chin. So we have to recognize that. And, and what we hope that the ministers will accomplish this week is, is take some action and look for ways to improve the bottom line of farmers. And one of those ways is finally coming up with some meaningful improvements to business risk management programs. You know, this has been under review for several years, and I think it's safe to say that a long-term solution is desperately needed, and there's really a strong consensus across the industry 
that uh, the current business risk management programs, as they're designed, you know, really weren't um, designed to deal with the financial impact of a pandemic. So I don't think we can keep kicking the can down the road on this issue when it comes to business risk management programs. Um, we know agri-stability, you know, needs to be fixed. Um, we've talked to so many producers that, you know, just haven't been eligible for the program. And, and consequently, I think enrollment has gone down. So we're really recommending that the ag ministers consider restoring agri-stability reference margins to that 85% from the current 70%. I think that would be a a welcome change. And I think it would give farmers the confidence to, you know, go ahead and and, uh, the confidence that their business will be protected. Taxes... Uh, have a significant impact on all businesses. But uh, I understand the CFIB has been talking to farmers about some of the issues that have impacted them and and need to be reviewed. Maybe you could tell us about that. Yeah, well, we've surveyed our members, as we always do. We uh, survey our members on a regular basis, and especially during the pandemic. You know, we've really had an opportunity to go to our members on a weekly or monthly basis and engage their views and how the pandemic has been impacting them. And when we asked our farm members, 77% of our agribusiness owners support freezing federal taxes for small business at current levels. Um, like, as you mentioned, the CPP, carbon tax, you know, the last thing the sector needs right now are escalating costs, which really drives down profitability and reduces competitiveness for our farm members. So, you know, we are recommending to hold the federal taxes for small business and farmers at the current levels, um, like CPP, freeze the federal carbon tax for the foreseeable future in those provinces where it applies, including Saskatchewan. Um, you know, we know this is a, a huge cost on on farmers. We saw that wet spring last spring, uh, or let, wet fall last fall, and, and the costs for farmers to dry their grain. We actually surveyed our members, and on average, they paid about $14,000 per year in carbon taxes, um, you know, in that year. So it's, it's a concern for our farm members, and that's why we're calling for a freeze on that. That's supposed to go up on April 1st. Um, we're also calling for an exemption to propane, natural gas, and aviation fuel used for farming activities. We think this would be a real way to deliver um, a bottom-line difference to farmers. CFIB Senior Policy Analyst Virginia Labby. The transition of the farm from one generation to the next is is always complicated and at times very difficult. Virginia, why does CFIB feel that it's something that uh, that needs more attention as far as government policies that currently exist that uh, perhaps need to be changed? Well, it's an important retirement tool for farmers, and we and we can't forget that. And we know that um, many farmers are thinking about in the next decade transitioning and and transferring that farm to their son or daughter. And and we know that um, the current rules really penalize farmers in that way. What we want is to make it easier and less expensive to sell a business to a family member. Um, and treat it the same as selling it to a complete stranger. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense right now that when you sell your farm to a to your son or daughter, you actually pay more than when you sell to an outside party. So that's that's a real concern. And and we know that if we're going to keep that agriculture sector strong, we need that 
transition to that next generation of entrepreneurs. And uh, you know, interesting in lo- interestingly enough, there is a bill, a private member's bill, Bill C-28, which uh, proposes to amend the Income Tax Act. That's been introduced by MP Larry McGuire. And the second reading actually is supposed to be this week. So, you know, we would certainly urge all members of parliament to support this private member's bill because, um, you know, that intergenerational transfer issue for farmers is a big one for our members. And CFIB is also listed red tape as an issue that uh, governments need to address to make things uh, a little bit easier for farmers. Well, I think our message to government on this is, you know, this is really a low-cost way to make farmers more competitive out there. You know, is there ways to remove barriers to interprovincial trade? Um, Is there ways to reduce the costs of tax compliance and program administration? You know, just making it easier to do business. Um, We know red tape and regulatory reform is always high on the priority list for our farm members, and so we would encourage all levels of government, municipal, provincial, and federal, to to work on reducing that burden for farmers. Of course, agriculture equals food, and the Canadian Federation of Independent Business uh, is also concerned about some recent issues in, um, in the food sector. So talk about this grocery code of conduct that you would like to see introduced. Well, this is an interesting one. Um, You may have heard in the news lately, um, a number of large chain grocery stores have imposed new fees on small food suppliers. There's been a a lot of unfair practices in the grocery industry as of late, Um, changing contracts, you know, imposing new fees. Um, We've seen the likes of Walmart and Loblaws jump on board, increasing their fees on these small food suppliers. And so what we're finding is there's really an unbalanced and unfair power relationship between retailers and suppliers. And I think this really needs to change. And that's why we've joined a number of associations representing the industry calling for a voluntary code of conduct. It would be similar to um, a, a big win that we got with the credit and debit industry where, you know, the relationship between merchants and those that supply the food would be improved. Um, there's just an unfair power relationship there, and that really needs to be fixed. There are so many topics that uh, that we could be discussing. I know that labor is a concern, uh, whether it's uh, Canadian labor or temporary foreign workers. Trade and market access issues are always uh, front of mind as well. But do you feel that a national group like the Canadian Federation of Independent Business addressing some of these ag issues carries more weight than when it comes from some of the uh, regular agriculture groups? Well, I think it helps when the industry is all rowing in the same direction. And I think there's a lot of consensus there on, on business risk management programs, you know, on a lot of these things, a shortage of labor um, farm transition, you know, this is, these are issues that not only impact farmers, they impact small business owners as well. And so I think, you know, CFIB can speak on the business side of agriculture and provide our members views on that. We survey our members on a regular basis, you know, so we know exactly where they stand on these issues. And so we bring forward their data and, and their views and come up with solutions. And I think, 
um, it's important that that the FPT agriculture ministers really listen to industry going forward and and work to do this so that we can play that critical role in Canada's economic recovery. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today, Virginia. Thanks, Alice. Really appreciate your interest. Virginia Labby is a senior policy analyst with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. It's time for the weekly agriculture news in review for the week of November 16th, 2020. Farm Credit Canada released a report outlining opportunities to expand Canadian farm trade. Chief Agricultural Economist J.P. Gervais said the export pace for Canadian farm exports has been steady this year despite the pandemic. Gervais said Canada can also export food products because of its reputation of being safe and of high quality. China and Europe could be the markets to take more Canadian canola oil as well as prepared beef and pork. A new report examined the ongoing trend of fewer and larger farms in Western Canada. The study was prepared by four authors, including two academics. The report found 38% of Saskatchewan farm land is operated and controlled by 8% of farms. In Alberta, 6% of farms operate 40% of that province's farmland. The report said it is much harder for young and new farmers to enter agriculture and new policy measures are urgently needed to counter market forces that will drive even more concentrated farmland ownership in the future. A new project based in Saskatchewan is going to examine turning oats, lentils, faba beans, chickpeas and hemp into liquid-based plant protein products and ingredients. A $7.2 million venture is the latest project from Protein Industries Canada and the Federal Super Cluster Initiative to spur economic activity. PIC will provide half of the funding, the rest coming from Mira Developments in Regina and Benson Farms based at Raymore. Benson Farms will run trial plots to determine which are the best varieties for processing using Mira's technology. Saskatchewan seeing an alarming trend in the shooting of domestic livestock. Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association President Kelsey Elford said it's not uncommon for some animals to be injured during hunting season, but the recent cases seem to be blatantly criminal in nature versus an accidental shooting. The Saskatchewan Federation of Labour and the Stock Growers have partnered to provide a cash reward of $10,000, leading to a conviction of anyone found illegally shooting livestock. BASF opened a new $14 million formulation and packing facility in Regina. The plant is expected to produce over half of BASF Canada's crop protection products. Site manager Caleb Grittner said the facility will produce more than 30 million litres of agricultural products each year, including Viper, one of the most important herbicides for field peas. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarland for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.